Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode of Murderous Miners is brought to you by the State of Logic Podcast. This is Murderous Miners, Killer Kids, bringing you the frightening and truly insane tales of children with the thirst to kill. Kindergarten through 12th grade murderers. True stories thoroughly researched. Join us weekly for new tales of parents' worst nightmares on Murderous Miners, Killer Kids. Episode number eight. Here we go again. This week is the 25th anniversary of the stunning abduction and murder of nearly three-year-old James Bulger from Liverpool, England, on February 12, 1993, by two 10-year-old boys. In anticipation, we collaborated with the Amazing Nature vs. Narcissism podcast, and it was nothing less than a treat. The link to the full episode is in the show notes, and I have started with a clip from that episode, followed by a quick report to bring you up to speed on this case. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Welcome back to Nature vs. Narcissism. I'm Heather, and today we have a special guest, War Baby from the Murderous Miners podcast. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, so this is a pretty famous case it has had a lot of notoriety whenever children killers come up you know generally you will hear about the case of two-year-old james bulger Mm -hmm. he was abducted um on february 12 1993 from the strand shopping center in liverpool england but the craziest part is that he was two years old and he was abducted by two 10 year olds who then took him two and a half miles away led him away on a journey, and they ended up murdering him on the train tracks a couple miles away. Yeah. And the only thing that keeps popping in my head, too, every time I think about this case or every time somebody talks about killer kids, I think of this case and that still image from the camera outside the mall where they're literally just holding his hand, like walking him out as if he's with them. And they have CCV TV footage of the almost the entire two and a half miles that mm-hmm. they walked with him. And evidently they were spotted by and interacted with up to 38 people. Yeah, I saw that, that two too. And a half, yeah, on that two and a half mile trek. It's insane. Yeah, and some of them did get a feeling and did approach them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that just shows you how manipulative these boys were. They. Yeah. You know, one lady and her daughter had had James Bulger, they were holding his hands and they were so close to the police station. They're like, we'll just take them. But no, the boys were like, we got it. Yeah. You know, they, didn't they say that they were his uh, brothers and they were. 
Yeah, a couple people they told that, that he was the that he was their younger brother, and a couple people they told that he was lost. Lost, and they were taken. And in to they get were help. walking, yeah, over to the police station, which really was right there. Mm-hmm. And they really could have, at any point, just dropped him off there. They, you know, just been like, "Hey, we found this kid," and took off. You know what I mean? Right. But they didn't. It's it's just heartbreaking, and and the fact that. You know, once you get into this case a little bit more, you can tell that that was their entire intent the the whole time. They wanted to kill him. It's well, disturbing. they had to have because yeah. I mean, you there's just you can't imagine that it's be like it would be like okay for the first two miles we're leading you away from your mom. We're just thinking about playing. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know. But the crazier part to me is how one ten year old can convince another ten year old to help him kill somebody. Uh-huh. Yeah, I found that so, really disturbing as well. Because they were just friends, here. right? Well, they were friends at that point. But previously to that, John Venables had been bullied by Robert Thompson. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I just thought that they were friends. like Because, you know, time. Robert Thompson, his background is a little bit more... Even though if you looked at the boys and the way they made it seem in trial and stuff, it's hard to know which one to put them, like who's the ringleader, you know? Mm -hmm. And they always thought it was Thompson because in his interview, he doesn't cry. He really has no emotion. Right. And he had a really dysfunctional family life growing up and a really hard family life. But John Venables, he was extremely emotional he kept hugging the detectives and he, he kept saying, I don't want to say because that's the worst part. You know, everything they asked him, he didn't want to say because it was the worst part, you know. Mm-hmm. So they thought, oh, this other kid was the ringleader and he just led him along. But now that we know what's gone on, and you know, and up till now, which we'll go over, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to really be the case. Yeah, that's what I was kind of hoping that you would actually get into a little bit more than I, because the part that I I know everything all the way up until the trial and what they were sentenced with, I don't know anything after, like, after they were sentenced. Yeah, do you want to go over the trial and I can go over afterward? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so like you said, they there were like 38 people along the way who, you know, stopped them, talked to them, saw them, thought something was wrong, you know, that sort of thing. I know that, I know you don't really like to go into what actually happened to the victim, but with this one, I feel like in order to understand how evil they are, (laughs) you have to talk a little bit about that. And I definitely do, but you know, sometimes it's a little too much information. Mm -hmm. I try to stop before, I don't, I just don't want to upset anyone. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, but yes, it's definitely necessary just to understand how crazy these children were. Oh my gosh, yeah. And and <sighs> the media, I believe, the coverage of them going into the trial and everything, they were already branded as evil, demonic, monsters, fiends, all that kind of stuff. And they were publicly named, which yes. was the craziest part. That's the part that I was so... I, I had to take a step back, like, are you kidding me? Because at first they were naming them as Child A and Child B, and then they right. publicly named them in the media. And I'm like, these are children. Like at that point, I think at the trial point, they had just turned 11 or something. So yeah. they were still the youngest to ever be convicted of murder. Yeah. And they're being named. In like named. 250 <sighs> years in England. Yeah. It's insane. 
Yeah, and they named them, which, yeah, so then they went. So, yeah, the 38 people saw them. And, you know, I did hear that James Bulger had, like, a freaking giant goose egg on his forehead. Mm -hmm. And he was crying for most of this journey. So, you know, it's 1993. You just don't assume two 10-year-olds are taking this kid to murder him. So, I mean, you can't. I feel bad placing so much blame on people because it's like, even especially back then, but this is pre-Columbine. That's true. You just don't didn't have those assumptions that a child would have that intent you know yeah looking at it from that angle I can see that for sure but it is and I feel like I mean I know I, I I don't know what I would do if I was in that position and I saw that but looking now where I am I'd be like okay something doesn't seem right maybe I'll just call the cops since they won't you know, Definitely. allow me to help because I wouldn't. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's because of cases like this. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, back then, the I probably wouldn't part. have. Yeah. You just wouldn't have that assumption, especially that a 10 year old would beat a two year old to death, accidentally shoot, not watch them and they accidentally drown or mm-hmm. something. You know, they go in the street on accident, but not intentional, malicious beating. Mm hmm. It's unfathomable. Yeah. So once they uh, lured him away from his mom, she was like paying for groceries or something, I believe. And they lured him away. Like you said, they took him to the train tracks. They even took him up the embankment to get to the train tracks. And they carried him up there. Yeah. I know there was so much planning to this. And I, I believe it was Venable said that Thompson had mentioned something like, oh, let's do this to kill him. Oh, let's drown him. Let's throw him in the street and pretend like it was an accident or let's throw him on the right. train tracks. So they were already planning out. We have to make it look like an accident. So they knew it was wrong. Uh, then the thing that was really disturbing to me, too, during the trial is the fact that they brought an entire box of evidence in that had like 27 bricks in it bloodstained yeah. stones debris the 22 pound iron bar oh my god yeah it's insane <laughs> and then they tried to make the jurors hold all this stuff and there was a female juror who was like get that away from me like how could you shove that in right. states? you know what i mean right goodness oh. yeah and they evidently to like you know what led to them getting caught was that they had model paint, like for cars or airplanes, you know, kid Mm -hmm. stuff, but they poured it all over him. They poured it in his eyes and consequently they got it on themselves. (laughs) So it was the news reports in the media with the blue paint and then a neighbor of the Thompson family, I believe, was out of town and she came back and saw the CCV footage, you know, heard the thing about the blue paint and saw one of the kids with blue paint on their clothes and she went to the police. And that's the only reason why they were able to figure out who did this. Because from the CCV footage, they thought that the perpetrators were between the ages of 12 and 18. That's a huge gap. (laughs) It is a huge gap. And so for them to be 10, and they said they even looked like they were eight. Yeah, they looked really, they look really young. I'm looking at their pictures right now. They look so young, like babies. One cherubic, one angelic. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. And that's how they were described, too, as some of the people that had interacted with them. They said... They had innocent smiles and angelic voices and saying that he was their younger brother. Really? And they, <laughs> and they concocted some pretty wild stories to go along with that. One, one of the witnesses was saying that one of them was just complaining and complaining, like, I'm tired of looking after my little brothers. I'm going to tell my parents I'm not going to do it anymore. Just all kinds of bullcrap. Jeez. 
so but harmless. at least you know they they got to trial and they were convicted mm-hmm. of murder yes so you would think okay that sounds great right yeah you that sounds appropriate convicted mm-hmm. of murder mm-hmm. so they were 11 or 12 so then they were incarcerated in the juvenile facilities until the age of 18 mm-hmm. not even 21 years old right yeah i remember reading somewhere it said they were the youngest to be convicted of murder and that they would have a minimum of eight years, but they were to be detained in custody for an infinite term until it was agreed that they had been rehabilitated and would no longer be a threat to the public. Right. So that happened when they were both 18 and they there was health professionals. They drew up reports saying that their risk of reoffending was low that they had made exceptional progress, they had never been violent, they had worked hard at their studies and had had considerable achievements while locked up. And they weren't locked up together. They were locked up in two separate places, secure children's homes. Hmm. So, and you know, James Bulger's mother was pretty pissed off when she realized that in a secure children's home, that pretty much just means you're locked in and locked out. But it was pretty much just like a foster home on the inside. Like really? a group home situation. Yeah, they had video games. In one of the shorts I watched, um, they spoke to, and it was filmed in about 2010. They spoke to a woman who worked in the um, the Red Bank Secure Children's Home in Liverpool where John Venables had stayed. And she was saying that in England, liberty, which is what they call freedom, I got a real kick out of reading all this British stuff. Yeah, I thought I was like, this is pretty cool. But she said, you know, freedom, people think that freedom is literally not being able to do anything, but they consider their lack of freedom being the fact that they're locked in and locked out of this facility. But while they're in there, they still treat them like children. So I'm not sure if that's the best rehabilitative experience. So, you know, they came out when they were 18 and there's two of them. So there's a 50-50 chance of success, I would say. Mm -hmm. Robert Thompson, surprisingly, even though they tried to brand him as the ringleader, as the evil one, you know, he didn't show any emotion. He's actually, as far as we can tell, because, you know, they were released at, they went into juvenile custody with a new identity because the media had already outed them who they were. So they had to enter custody with new identities. That's what I was going to ask you about. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So not only did they have to grapple with being in prison, deal with the fact that they killed someone, but they also have to learn a new backstory Mm -hmm. and become a different person. They went in with new identities, came out at 18, went into hiding. So pretty much the terms of their release and their sentencing were that they would be given new identities and the government would pretty much hide them for the rest of their lives. What? Like so that other people couldn't harm them, basically? Well, they gave they give them support. Yeah, pretty much. They, well, they have to keep their identities secret now because they let their identities slip out. Okay. So they literally had teams of people who helped them learn their legacy stories. Okay, like so they had things to tell people, mm-hmm. and they created fake documents. I mean, as far as you could go. So they come out. You know, they're well entrenched in their new identities by the time they're eighteen. And uh, by two thousand and six, so they came out in two thousand and one, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. 
That's yeah. So in 2006, there was reports about Robert Thompson that he was in a stable gay relationship really? and was living well in the northwest of England. He, he, he appeared to be rehabilitated and he has has never reoffended. So, but when it comes to to Venables, totally different story. Okay, hold right there for one second, because that's sure, really no interesting for me, because, but it made me think of something that I researched. I wasn't going to say it, but mm-hmm. now that you say that Thompson is in like a stable gay relationship, it makes a little yeah. bit more sense. Because yeah. one of the uh, injuries that James Bolger suffered or endured was there was like sexual injuries right. done to and him. And I didn't really see anything in depth about that. Yeah, the only thing that I have is that they, like the foreskin of his penis showed signs of trauma. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And that he was sexually assaulted and. I guess they didn't want to get too much into that after everything else that was going on in the trial. But during the interrogation, Thompson, when they brought that up to him, Thompson became really distressed and he was screaming at the investigator saying, I'm not a pervert. But then when they talked to Venables about the same situation, Mm -hmm. Venables just came right out and said, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Thompson removed his trousers and underwear and then he, quote unquote, played with his privates. So that's really interesting now, looking back now that he's an adult and he's in a gay relationship. He became so upset and said, I'm not a pervert. But yet back then, apparently he is the one that fondled him. Yeah. That's a little. But is he the one who crushed his head? Uh, Like, I wish we could ever know. But when they interrogated, they just kind of both, they were just like, he hit him in the head first. Well, he hit him Mm -hmm. in the head first. So we'll just never know. I know. And now for a short break. The State of Logic podcast is like no other. We don't have the same focus as so many other podcasts where we're just going to be talking about business or politics or whatever. We talk about everything with everyone, intellectuals, comedians, and celebrities alike. Sometimes it's a 20-minute interview. Sometimes it's a three-hour interview. But at the end of the day, it's a great conversation that we often laugh about and learn something from at the same time. Come check us out at the State of Logic podcast. So a lot of the cursory information I saw, it just says he was released in 2001. You don't really hear anything else until 2010 when he is re-arrested because he has images of, of child pornography and child abuse on his computer. Oh, my God. He went back in in 2010. Okay, And he did about two, two and a half years. And they released him again in 2013 with another new identity. What? Because while he was incarcerated, either somebody outed him on Facebook, two guys posted pictures of them, of their actual identities. They had somehow figured out who they were, posted pictures of them on Facebook, and those guys got arrested. Oh, shit. Because it's illegal. So they had to give him another freaking new identity. So he's like 20-something years old, having to learn a whole new false life. Oh, God. So, okay, so that's 2010 to 2013. Mm -hmm. So when he first got out, okay, he did have five years of intense therapy where he saw his his probation officer, I mean, like daily to weekly, they had they were in very close contact with him. So after that five year mark, they started to feel like, oh, he's doing great. So they started to pull back while they're pulling back. He starts to crumble 
And, you know, he just kind of falls in, into this pit. They put him on a curfew. He, he's going out. He's starting to do things he shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. There, These guys are not allowed back in Merseyside, Liverpool, the area where the killing occurred. But it's a known fact that he admitted he went drinking in a bar there. And one of them had also attended some kind of a sporting event nearby. And the crazy thing, too, is that at this point now, 2010, you know, 2013, James Bulger's mom has three other sons now that she's had after James has passed away. She had she was pregnant with one during the trial, right? Yeah, okay. she was. And she had a son with James's father. Mm. And then, you know, they ended up splitting, you know, just due to all the stress and trauma. That happens. Yeah, it happens a lot. And she remarried and had two more sons. So by the time this comes around, she has one that's a teenager. And she's just scared to death that... They're going to come back. Well, that they're going to encounter each other and not... Mm. Her boys aren't going to know that that's him because his identity is secret. Right. And if he's hanging around and everything. So anyway, they start to pull back with his support services about five, six years after he's released. So he's about 24, 25 now. And that's when he starts, they give him a curfew. So they tell him he's got to be in the house from maybe like 10 p.m. to 6.30. So he's pretty much stuck there. So it doesn't surprise you that he gets into some trouble with the computer. Right. So he stays in prison till about 2013, comes back out with another new identity. And they had him in isolation. He was under 24-7 monitor by two guards. He had a rowing machine. He was able to paint his cell. He was given private guitar lessons and all of this, this 2010 to 2013 incarceration. He's an adult now. It costs taxpayers about half a million pounds, which I forgot to look up how many dollars that is. (laughs) I can look it up while you're talking. (laughs) They have put now about five million pounds into rehabilitating him. So 2013, he he's released again with yet another identity only to be arrested again this past November of 2017 for the same offense it's like 1.4 million dollars oh yeah and that was just for his second incarceration um because they had to keep him separate you know Mm -hmm. they had to keep him separate i don't know if they needed to allow him to learn how to play the guitar yeah and Um, paint a cell (laughs) yeah yeah but that that's what they did so it's going on five million pounds now so he was arrested again in November of 2017, they just announced in January of 2018 that they're going to try him in secret in an unnamed court at an unspecified time this year. Oh, wow. Holy yeah, shit. So that's, that's unprecedented. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There. Yep. There was about January 8th. I think I saw that they said that they were going to try him. I don't know how that's legal. Right. And I don't know how that's really going to pan out, but that's what the Crown Prosecution Service announced. I was going to say we can do a follow up episode, but if we don't know where and when we can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the worst part, too, is he this time that he was in prison again. I saw a report that said pretty much all every prisoner knows exactly who he is. Oh, yeah. So I that's why. And so they just have to have three guards with him all the time. It's just costing more and more and more money. Wow. That, so that makes me think a little bit more that Venables was the uh, ringleader more so well, than Thompson. He's, he's definitely more messed up now. Yeah. Wow. And I just wonder how much therapy they got in secure lockup. 
I was I wondering really that too. I didn't see anything about therapeutic services or anything. I didn't see anything about that. It's just hard to know. But did you see anything about the, the boys who found James Bulger's body? Did you come across any info on that? No, I. the only thing that I really came across was the confession from Venables to the investigators. And then, yeah, just that when he was in the courtroom, he was saying, can you just please tell her that I'm sorry? Like, I'm really sorry that I did that, blah, blah, blah. But nothing about the actual finding of the body, just about the injuries to the body. Did you did you hear that they one of them when they were on the stand like did an imitation of James Bulger crying? No. Yeah. I didn't see it or hear it. Thank Ooh, goodness. That's terrible. I was going through the trial newspaper footage, just like article by article, and so each day of the trial would be highlights. You know. Mm-hmm. And you know the mothers of the boys, Venables and Thompson's mothers, did not ever go to Denise Fergus, James Bulger's mom, and apologize. Yeah, I they knew really, that. They just acted really weird around her, yep. and not at all how how she said she would act if her son had murdered someone else's baby. I don't know how I would act, but probably not like that. Yeah, I don't think that I would just like not show any ounce of remorse at all like they did. They kind of gave her the cold shoulder like, oh, it's, you know, whatever. Just here to get this over with kind of thing. I couldn't do that. The I only see anything about any of the parents, like anything that happened after that with any of them either. Me either. <clears throat> I just saw that. Uh, like a couple of them didn't show up like the the mom of Bulger didn't show up for a while because she was pregnant and then the dad of one of the boys I think he was out of the courtroom a few times yeah the mom didn't come on the days when they described the injuries okay and I guess they didn't even just they didn't even disclose all of the injuries in not only in trial or ever to the media because it was pretty horrifying and they really just didn't want his family to even have to think about that Mm -hmm. they picked and choose what they wanted to highlight in the trial but consequently they were only locked up for eight years so maybe if everyone knew what really had happened to the child then they would have gotten a more fitting punishment yeah i have a a magazine here i actually got it from the uk (laughs) um yeah it's like a real crime magazine or whatever but they they go into a little bit of detail they said he had 22 bruises splits and grazes found on his head 20 more wounds on his body less than 2.5 square centimeters large others were much bigger the post-mortem examinations revealed that james had been struck by at least 30 blows and for a brief period of time he survived his injuries before succumbing to the pain that he was suffering from extensive brain damage was evident including a hemorrhage at the center of his brain bruising on his right cheek and ear consistent with a severe blow yeah with consistent of stomping Stomping, yep uh, yep which they don't even bring up in trial so that's one of the things that they don't mention stomping and kicking yeah and that's exactly as far as i saw what they said in the magazine too and that that kicking and the pattern that was left on him the tread pattern matched thompson's boot yeah and then once we forgot the worst part of how they left him on the train to get (sighs) run over by the train yeah yeah and let him they allowed him to be run over by the train yeah, and he was sewn or sawn in half basically by yep. the train, and they planned it that way so that it would look like he fell on the train track and was killed by accident, which is fucking yeah, so ridiculous. Investigators were scarred for life, mm-hmm. obviously. But the children who found his body and reported it to police, there was four of them, evidently. 
two brothers and two of their friends. So the two brothers were James and Terrence Riley, and they were 14 and 13 years old in 1993. So they've gone on to have, you know, not the best life. Mm -hmm. And they continuously say that it's because they're traumatized from finding his body. Oh my God, I could imagine. (sighs) Yeah. And in 2003, their grandmother was interviewed and she said that them discovering James Bulger's body ripped their entire family apart. They've never spoken about it. James stole a bottle of brandy in 2010, and when he got arrested, it was his 48th criminal conviction. Mostly misdemeanors. Holy shit. Terrence had done 12 years in prison already. He was the younger of the brothers. He was 13, and he had been involved. He had gone to, like, Amsterdam and had been involved in a $4 million drug conspiracy. He was a drug trafficker. So he did 12 years for trafficking cocaine and stuff. And then when he got out, he led police on a high-speed chase, and he was just so apologetic in court, and he's they're just freaking traumatized. So, yeah. so traumatized. But At the same time, you know, investigators and everyone said, well, at the time that this happened, we offered counseling and all those kinds of things, but you guys chose to drink. So that's Britain for you. (laughs) You guys chose to drink. There's nothing else we can do. You guys just chose to drink, Ed. (laughs) I mean, I think I would, too. I think I would be drinking a whole hell of a lot if I had to stumble upon that. Oh, yeah, but drink in therapy. Yeah, yeah. That is the story. And like I said, um, James Bulger's mom, Denise Fergus, has just released a book called I Let Him Go. And the cover has a picture of a mommy and a baby's hand Mm. because she's just like, you know, she literally let his hand go to get the money out of her wallet. Yeah. Yeah. And that was how long. And then she also said that when she realized he was gone, if she had left the store and turned right instead of turning left, she would have seen them. Oh, my God. So she puts all this blame on herself. She does. <sighs> yep, she really does. I mean, she just can't, you know, of course she can't stop thinking about all the things that just so many little decisions that could have led to a different outcome. You know, right. just turning right instead of left mm-hmm. is a matter of life and death. You just don't look at your life on a day to day level like that, you know? Exactly. You mentioned something, too, about not seeing anything where they were given any kind of therapeutic yeah. intervention or anything. See, I didn't read anything about that either, uh, other than the fact that when the trial was going on or just right after, I guess um, there was a psychiatrist with the adolescent forensic service Mm -hmm. and she stated that Venables was incapable of talking in a meaningful way about his participation in the death even to her see that Mm -hmm. and then a second one a second psychiatrist which makes me feel like he did the worst stuff that's what i'm thinking (laughs) because he he couldn't even he couldn't even form the words exactly and then the second psychiatrist because i guess they used two for it or whatever to get a different angle or take or Mm -hmm. whatever uh stated that that uh thompson suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder since the killing so that even makes me think that venable's was more the culprit in it because he can't even like admit to it but yeah they didn't say that he had anything wrong with him like post-traumatic but the other kid did right exactly and he probably had ptsd thompson from his upbringing Mm -hmm. i mean he probably already had it you know yeah it came from a huge family and he he was like the fifth of seven and the seventh and sixth were already locked up i'm pretty sure when this happened their dad had abandoned them. He had a bunch of younger siblings and his mom was a mess, you know, mm-hmm. which is why he's out ditching school, throwing rocks at houses, you know, right. kidnapping children. 
you know, Thompson had that flat affect, which you always want to associate with like a psychopath. Yep. But I guess you could probably also associate it with PTSD, I suppose. I mean, I wouldn't say that you couldn't, but. Right. I'm just I, I can see that, it definitely being yeah, that way. Definitely. I'm just glad that one of them has grown up not to reoffend. Yeah. you know, and that brings us back. But you know what I, I didn't say was that. When Benevoles was was locked up in secure uh, juvenile, the year before he got released, did you see that he had a sexual relationship with one of the people that worked there? I did. I didn't yeah. get the details of it, but I saw that that had happened. Uh, and he still got released a couple of months later. I mean, they didn't think that that was an offense worth which any kind odd. of rehabilitation <laughs> or punishment. She was suspended and she voluntarily just chose not to ever go back to work there. But nothing happened to him. Oh, my God. You know, nothing happened to him. It's just too crazy. So what do you think about nature versus nurture? I mean, we have so many. I mean, definitely <laughs> with Thompson, I feel like his has a lot to do with the nature. He obviously had a rough, well, I mean, I guess the nurture is what I would think. He definitely had a rough upbringing. But Venables, man, after hearing about him, he he makes me think narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> For narcissism? sure. Narcissism? Yeah. yeah. Well, narcissism or nature, because, you know, he came from it on the outside, I guess I would say. His family seemed more normal. Okay. His parents were separated, but they had joint custody. So at least he had both of his parents in his life. Yeah. But the detective said about 20 years later that he was so sly and devious that he could never forgive him. Mm. Uh, no, this was his defense attorney, not the detective. <gasps> That's right. I read that. Attorney. Yes. Yes. <sighs> he he said the moment he lit, he really realized that they had really done it, he just couldn't even... The way he went from utter denial to slipping into, okay, well, maybe we were on the canal. Mm -hmm. And it was just so effortless. Yeah, that makes, so, yeah, that makes so much sense now, actually. <laughs> In November of 2017, 35-year-old John Venables reoffended for the third time since his release at 18, after a routine check by parole officials led to the discovery of a horrifying collection of child abuse and pornographic images. Murdered toddler James Bulger's mother, Denise Fergus, found out just a few hours before the news broke publicly, tweeting, Here we go again. For this violation, it was determined in January 2018 that the man formerly known as John Venables would be tried in secret. Secret location, secret time, but sometime this year. Just a few weeks later, on February 6, 2018, that secret hearing was held, and John Venables was sentenced to 40 months behind bars for possessing 1,170 inappropriate images, along with a 20-page so-called pedophile handbook on his computer. The sinister collection included 392 Category A images deemed the most vile and worst kind. He admitted in court that he had been accessing the fabled dark web for quite a while. This admission is shocking mainly due to the fact that he is not allowed to access the internet given his previous offenses, leaving the question of why it took so long to be noticed unanswered. He wasn't even permitted to have a computer, yet a laptop was found hidden behind the headboard of his bed. Venables was reported to be quite outspoken during his hearing, stating, This is my own fault. I've let people down again. I've had stupid urges. Inquisitive. 
Denise Fergus said through a spokesperson that there should be no further collusion or attempts to cover up his offending behavior. He must be kept on a very tight leash. What she's referring to is the fact that during the hearing a few days ago, it was revealed that in 2015, John Venables violated the terms of his parole by using the internet. He was given a police caution, and none of this information was revealed to the media or public, causing Denise Fergus to accuse officials of a cover-up. That was the extent of his punishment, leaving him free to continue to amass the repulsive collection he would be caught with two years later. James Bulger's father, Ralph, has been vocal in his feeling that Venables' anonymity should be revoked. It's been reported that even this, his third identity, has been breached and that fellow inmates are well aware of his true identity. A constant three-guard team goes with him everywhere at increasing cost to British taxpayers. Ralph Bulger contends that if he cannot keep his identity secret, he should stop being afforded new ones. Venables' original defense attorney, Lawrence Lee, agrees with him and made comments to media this week supporting such a lift on his former client's anonymity. Lawrence Lee can also be heard on the already controversial documentary program that just aired in the UK on Monday, February 5th, along with Thompson's original defense attorney and Detective Sergeant Phil Roberts, who led Thompson's interrogations. Extensive unaired clips of the killer's original interrogations were played for the first time to the public. Viewers were immediately outraged, accusing the experts of appearing sympathetic to the killers, who seemed to defend their actions and categorize them as awful mistakes. The outrage was quickly followed by the creation of a petition for public inquiry on the UK government and parliament website, which has already amassed the 100,000 signatures required by parliament to consider the petition for debate. Channel 4, who aired the program, The Bulger Killers, was just as stunned, removed the documentary from its on-demand service the next day, but said they do plan to put it back up soon. It is available to view elsewhere online with little effort. John Venable's 40-month sentence makes him eligible for parole next October 2019. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 8. I hope you enjoyed the break from our regular format. Head over to the Nature vs. Narcissism podcast page to catch our full episode together. Leave them a rate and review if you loved it. And thanks to our episode sponsor, The State of Logic Podcast. Listen in for discussions on relevant topics and interviews with guests designed to inspire better understanding of the world we all share. Leave a rating and review if you dig it. And just know that the support that we podcasters receive from our listeners continually inspires us to keep providing great content. It's definitely not easy. Murderous Miners Killer Kids is mixed, edited, and produced by Resonate Recordings. Get started with your free episode today at ResonateRecordings.com. Find us on iTunes and Radio Public, on social media at Killer Kids Pod, and join us next week for another gut-wrenching story of the dirty deeds kids have done on Murderous Miners Killer Kids. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.